Thank you, Wes, for reading God's Word for us. It's a great morning, Shelton. Let me do a couple housekeeping items here. Shelton kids, if you are wanting to go to our Shelton kids class, you are dismissed at this time. That's first important housekeeping item. Second important housekeeping item that I would like to announce today is that I did not know what I should wear this morning. So I looked at my closet and I said to myself, WWBW, what would a bill wear? <laughs> and yes, we totally planned it. I promise. <laughs> it's so, yeah, we laughed at ourselves when we saw each other this morning. I'm like, twinsies. I always wanted to be like Bill, so it works out great. <laughs> it's our joy to open up the Word of God together this morning. Today, as a church, we are wrapping up our series in the book of Ephesians that we have been studying throughout the fall. Now, if you remember, as we have been talking about this series, especially last few Sundays, we talked about Christian ethics, morality, marriage, and family, lots of domestic affairs. So it would make sense for Paul to end such as to do that well. But all of a sudden, you will soon see that in today's text, Paul takes a sudden shift. After talking about domestic affairs, he's talking about warfare. Put up the armor of God. And I'm saying, really? Paul, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, all I want to do is coast and relax. But Paul said, put up the armor of God. That is the exhortation that Paul gives to all of us. So what does this Christian warfare, spiritual warfare look like in your life, Chelton? What does this affair, this warfare, warfare in our lives really call us to do? As we dive in today, I pray that we will move from reluctant obedience, compliancy, to joyful surrender. I think that's what Paul calls us to do today. And if I can say the structure of the sermon is rather pretty simple. We'll first and foremost examine the reality of unseen reality. And second, we'll talk about the weapons for this Christian warfare. Let's go one by one. What is this reality of unseen reality? It is interesting that we just talked about it, Shelton, right? Chapters 4 and 5. What did we talk about? Like we talked about money, greed, lust, marriage, manhood, womanhood, family, work ethics, parenting, and after that, all of a sudden, what does Paul do? Wait a second, verse 12, powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms? What? Paul just moved from domestic affairs to cosmic warfare. Paul just pulled Star Wars on us, forces of this dark world. Forces are strong, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? And Paul begins this last paragraph by saying, verse 10, finally. In my mind, Paul should say, on the other side, 
Guys, we talked about all these domestic affairs in our lives, but on the other side, there's cosmic warfare too. No, Paul means it. After having said all that, this is my conclusion. Where is Paul going with all this when he talks of powers of dark world and the spiritual forces of evil? He says our battle, struggle is not against flesh or blood, but forces this unseen reality that is all over us. Let's talk about that. A couple of things. When we hear this kind of word, rulers, authority, powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil, we often imagine two polar extremes. So often it is our understanding is quite misleading or reductionistic at its best. What I mean by that is this. Some of you, when we hear the forces of dark world, evils in the heavenly realm, you just went horror movie. Another of you, you just completely dismiss it. That's not true. What I mean by that, you went horror movie like, you immediately imagine, whoa, dark world. You imagine Hollywood version, head turning backward, arch bag running down. As much as I love movies, one movie I cannot watch is a horror movie. Ooh, I don't do that well. But when you hear dark force, that's all you can imagine, like foams in mouths. We don't get to talk about this kind of stuff often, do we? On the other side, who are we? We are the posterity of modern enlightenment, the glorified human rationale, what is provable, what is reasonable, what you can examine tangible. As a result, you completely dismiss it. Unseen reality, forces of darkness, what is this kind of thing? So we either run polar opposite extreme. You either imagine complete horror movie or you dismiss it that we don't really understand what is this spiritual warfare, Christian warfare is all about. Your enemy is not the one who's sitting in front of you, behind you, or next to you. Paul calls us to, we are fighting against powers of this dark world or against the spiritual forces of evil. But because our understanding is often so reductionistic and extreme, we don't properly grab hold of what Paul is talking about here. Now, let me address both sides. First of all, for those who completely dismiss this unseen reality, because we are the posterity of enlightenment, we want to think, we want what is provable. Let me speak to your rationale language, and if you're in that camp, this unseen reality, what are you talking about, Jen? Oh, man, I came to church. I thought finally things are becoming relevant, and you're bringing us to this dark world? That doesn't exist. Well, I challenge your notion of thought if you think that way, especially if you're a Christian today. If you believe that God exists, if you believe that heaven exists, those aren't necessarily provable, those aren't tangible, those aren't quantifiable, but you certainly believe that. And why don't you also believe in the forces of this dark world that is unseen reality all over us and throughout us? Those are much more reality, whether it be positive reality or negative reality. Every time I speak with missionaries who speak, who's really ministering in the Middle East, a lot of Muslim population, I don't even know how many stories I have heard that these Muslim people dream a dream and they see this figure, this person who's hanged on a tree. Who is this person that I'm dreaming about? They come to Christian missionaries to find out. How would you explain that? modern posterity of enlightenment. You say, oh, those don't exist. 
But too many, I've come to know so many Indian believers, their conversion story often involved so much of healing. We don't want to talk about the modern Western culture, the posterity of enlightenment. That doesn't make sense to us. Those are unprovable. Those are unquantifiable. But if you're a Christian today, God exists. You believe that. You believe that heaven exists. You believe that there has a meta-narrative that God has been writing since the beginning of creation and all the way through his second coming. Those aren't provable. You weren't there when Adam and Eve were made, but you believe that. Then why don't you also acknowledge the presence of evil and dark force? It's all over us as well. Let me speak the language of medicine here. By no means I'm a doctor, but I think many of you know that stress is one of the leading causes of many sickness in our lives. You believe that, don't you? I mean, you really believe that bad food, junk food will lead to a lot of health issues. You, of course, believe that because bad nutrition goes into your body, it creates havoc in your body, you get sick. But you also believe stress that isn't quantifiable, measurable, that leads to often isolation, leads to anxiousness, leads to migraine, leads to bad eating habit. It destroys. Broken heart, syn- broken heart syndrome is a real thing. Then why, if you believe those are not the most much measurable, why don't you also believe in the forces of this dark world that Paul takes us today too? I remember to this day vividly two decades later. Uh, back in my high school days, I was in Korea. And by the time that you get to junior and senior year, you get very busy preparing for a college entrance exam. I was at a boys-only prep school, so we lived in a dorm studying for college. Because we spent so much time for preparing for exam, all the biggest trip and the fun happened in our freshman year. So the biggest field trip was that we get to pick our destination. There were four or five options. I picked Japan. It would be fun to go to Japan. So about a couple hundred of us who picked Japan took the, this big ship at the southern port of Korea, an overnight ship to Japan. So we went there. We landed a bright daylight in the morning following day. We got to this rural part of Japan. I loved it. Japanese were so nice. They are such polite people. It was so scenic, uh, technology, all they were great. But that's not what I remembered the most. What was most memorable in my freshman year of high school mind was as soon as I landed, I'm thinking, whoa, this is dark. I've never witnessed, I mean, literal idols of cat, golden calf shrines are everywhere, each corner of the street, literal sculpture of demon. And I'm thinking, whoa, even in high school mind, this is so dark. I couldn't quite explain that, but even in my young mind, I felt it in the core of my soul. If you study Japanese culture, um, they are the second most unreached people group in the, na- in the world. There's a 1% Christianity, less than 0.5 evangelical. There has been persecution throughout all centuries, Greco-Roman world, Soviet Union, modern-day China and North Korea. Persecution has been all over the place. But persecution in Japan was so severe, especially in the 17th centuries, that even after persecution lifted, so many people lived as a hidden Christian. They dare not to say they are Christian because the trauma was so lingering. Perhaps that effect is written well by a 1966 novel written by Japanese author Shusako Endo called Silence, 
which was also made into movie in 2016 by Martin Scorsese, Liam Neeson, Andrew Garfield. Very dark movie about this missionary who went to Japan and uh, become an apostate. The whole scene, and our, that movie well explained what happened in Japan and how it never recovered. Christianity never really recovered after that. And that presence of darkness that I felt, I can't quite explain it to you. But if you are those, one of those, oh, Jen, what is not provable, don't exist, forces of dark world, come on, give me a break. Well, I challenge you to think about it. Because those are more than you and I realize, especially if you live in this culture, that don't talk about any kind of supernatural phenomena. On the other side, now, let me address to another camp, some of you who, when you hear the evil force of this dark world, all you imagine is forms in the mouth, turning backward, horror movie, complete. that's all you can think about. But no, devil is much more shrewd and cunning, not as obvious as you think. They're all over us, around us. Often devils tempt us by marrying our fleshly carnal desire in our day-to-day life. And they're skimmish to destroy us for being one church, destroy our marriage and family. Look with me, verse 11, what does Paul say? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Devil, Satan, in scripture really means accuser, adversary, prosecutor. And what does it say? It's their schemes, it means their plot, their shrewdness, if I can call it that way. They are far more shrewd and cunning than you and I can ever realize. They might not often show up with the forms in the mouth in most obvious way, but most shrewd and cunning way that pulls us away from the presence of God. Marija, let me be provocative here. Please don't answer out loud or raise your hand when I say this. Gentlemen, how many times have you watched the things that you shouldn't watch? You misuse the internet right in front of your wife while she's watching. I think many of you have said, Chen, I'm not that crazy. Are you kidding? I would never do that. Sure, that makes sense because that had huge consequences. You are not that foolish per se. And now let me open it up to all of us, ladies and gentlemen, married, singles, widow. How many times when no one is watching you have you indulged in the thoughts of greed, sexual lust, or the thoughts of bitterness. And I do think many of your answers say, yeah, I have. But you say, oh, but Jin, that's different, though. One, that one public, that's more consequence, that's terrible. This is like everyone does that. You tolerate it. You think it's acceptable. And that's exactly how devil want you to think. When evil came to Eve, He was very shrewd. Take this fruit. You will be like God. Devil just didn't come and say, let's lead a rebellion. God's terrible. He came in the most shrewd way you and I can imagine. The devil just came so all over us that destroys us from truly being one church, destroys us from truly following the will of God in a most subtle way you and I can imagine. If you really want to understand this reality of how devil works, look no further than the works of our friend C.S. Lewis, his masterpiece on screw tape letter. It's a, it's a book written by C.S. Lewis. It's a satire 
the senior demon and junior demon is talking to one another. How to tempt believers to lure away, lure them away from God. This is basically satire. Senior devil is talking to junior devil. Hey, this is how you can tempt the believer against so that you can pull them away from their enemy. Who's the enemy for them? God, right? This is what C.S. Lewis said. The senior demon is talking to junior demon. Like all young tempters, junior, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness from men. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. How do you compromise before God today, children? What are your respectable sins that you think, oh, it's not that big deal? That's how exactly devil, the spiritual forces of darkness, is still working in us. As much as we don't want to admit it, Jin, those aren't that bad. Think twice, children. This is the reality that it makes total sense, therefore, that Paul is not saying, on the other side, by the way, think about this cosmic warfare. No, it totally makes sense that therefore, finally, as you conduct your domestic affairs in your day-to-day life, think of this cosmic warfare that is at work to destroy your church, to destroy your marriage, to destroy all the relationships that you have. It's much more subtle than you and I can ever imagine. So be alert. Keep on guard. Because we are fighting. We are not fighting against flesh and blood, but cosmic forces of evil in the dark world. And Paul said that believers, we ought to resist and stand against that. His scheme is to destroy us. Destroy us. Now what's our solution today, Shelton, against this cosmic warfare? I brought us to deep darkness, right? Hopefully I can provide some solution through the scripture how we can fight against this evil scheme in our lives that affect day-to-day life from the most spectacular darkness you can imagine to everyday conversation. Devil is at work to destroy us. What's our solution to that? Second, the weapons for Christian warfare. By now, some of you are thinking, whoa, this is heavy. Well, welcome to Thanksgiving service. <laughs> Man, I thought I came here to visit friendly folks. Whoa, what is Chelton all about? Well, don't blame me. Blame Paul for it. He takes us there. But Chelton, as much as I would love to give you a break to coast here, no, Paul is what, calling us to put on the armor. Now, every war calls for gear, equipment. Who am I to talk about this? I don't know anything about it. Perhaps some of you, just 10 days ago about, our nation celebrated Veterans Day. And perhaps many of us, we have many of us who served in armed force in our gathering that knows far more about this than I do. Thank you for your sacrificial service, for your honorable duty. What I hear from you, if that is right, perhaps you know far more about war gear than I do. These days I hear that you don't even sometimes, so technology has been developed that there can be even cyber attack, drone, 
or just a touch of a button, you can launch a missile that destroys entire enemies. Yet, our battle against cosmic force, our missile, technology, nuclear is completely useless because we don't fight against the human device, flesh and blood, but we are fighting spiritual and cosmic battle. So what is Paul's exhortation here? Does Paul say, verse 11 and 13, put on the armor? No. He says, put on the armor of what? Armor of God. Oftentimes, we put on the armor of our wit, our smartness. Put on the armor of our willpower. You have nothing to stand against enemies who are spiritual forces of darkness. You cannot fight against them with your own wit and power. So what's, what does that rely then? What does that mean for us to put on truly the armor of God? What does Paul say? He gives us being chained by a Roman soldier in prison. Perhaps he has seen Roman soldier every day. So he marries the battle imagery, military imagery of armory to spirituality. Verse 14, wear the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, shoe with the gospel of peace, shield of faith in verse 16, helmet of salvation, verse 17, sword of the spirit. What is so interesting and odd about Paul's exhortation here to all of us is that he's not writing this to he does not write this to non-Christians, but he's writing this to actually Christian, the church of Ephesus. They already have the righteousness. They already have righteousness of Christ because they believe in Jesus Christ. They already have gospel of peace. When they trusted in Jesus Christ, what he has done on the cross, you already have the peace with God. Helmet of faith, a shield of faith, verse 16. They already have faith in Jesus Christ. Helmet of salvation. They already have salvation because they trusted in Jesus Sword of the Spirit, indwelling Holy Spirit is already in them. Then why in the world does Paul say, put on this thing when they already have it? Let me show you what Paul is doing here. We have been talking about this over and over throughout our series in the book of Ephesians. That this book are, in a sense, divided into two sections, chapter 1 through 3, which is all about foundational truths about who we are in Christ Jesus, and what he has done in chapter 4 through 6, the application of all, how that who we are in Christ flows out into our daily living in 4 through 6. In both sections, Paul ends with a prayer. And as he ends with prayer, Paul is saying after all this foundational truth in 1 through 3, Paul is not content for you to just know it. Paul wants more than what does Paul say in 3, 17 through 19? I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What is Paul doing there? It's not good enough for you to just to know it's not good enough for you to acknowledge all the facts about who you are in Christ. You must marinate it to the core of your heart. You must know to the, know to the core of your heartbeat how much he loves you, how wide, how deep, how vast is the love of Christ in your life. It's a completely different thing, children, for you to know and for you to really know. 
What good is this incredible armor of God you have if you don't put that onto your heart? What good is the armor of God? You already have this righteousness, peace, and faith, salvation, but you completely forget about it and don't live out this reality. So Paul's exhortation is to put it on today. You already have all the weapons that God has given you. Might as well, if I can use the language that is very quantifiable and measurable. What good is $10 million in your bank account if you forget that you have it? You don't get to live out its privilege because you have it, but you don't even know you have it. So when Paul says this, Christians were meant to not just be loved and forgiven. Christians were meant to know that they were loved and forgiven. It's not good enough for you to intellectually know that, oh, I have armor of God. What good is it if you don't marinate that into the deepest part of your heart and wear the armor of God against the attacks of the enemy? That's how you can stand on your ground against the attacks of enemy. It's so easy because when we willfully sin, whether it's intentional or unintentional sins, it's actually we are refusing to think about it, refusing to really marinate truth into our heart. It's a willful and unwillful rebellion against God because we refuse to think about the reality of this armor that we have in Christ. If I can continue to quote C.S. Lewis in his book, Screwtape Letter, this is how two demons talking, this is how they are saying, it's funny how mortals always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Are you refusing to wear? Are you refusing to think about this true armor of God God has made available to you through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross? By putting on this armor of God, you get to activate the privilege of the gospel, the power that it provides for us for our daily living. Put on that armor of God every day to the core of your heart, Chelton so that you begin to create new disposition of your soul, so that you begin to create new muscle memory of your heart, so that your heart truly begins to sing for the glory of God. What good is this armor of God if you do not put it on? Instead, you continue to choose to put on armor of your own wit, or your own armor of your smartness. So, What does that look like for you, church, to put on the armor of God functionally? What does it look like for you functionally? What makes you to really know that you are really loved, forgiven? You have this availability of God's righteousness. Of course, we should begin the regular spiritual discipline that we all know we ought to do, whether it be the scripture or the prayer. But how did God make you specifically that when you do that, your hearts really begin to sing? that you feel like you don't really have the armor of God right with you? What activates that armor of God in your heart? Perhaps for some of you, I don't know, it's simply as simple as walking in nature on a beautiful day, like warm day like today. Go do it. That's not a selfish thing to do it. Perhaps some of you, you really get to know God. You feel like you're most alive before the Lord when you serve others. Do it. Serve your, everybody with your heart out. That's your lofty calling God has given you. Share your love with others. Perhaps for some of you, you're just really tired. Take a nap for the glory of God. (laughs) That's a godly thing to do. 
dinner with a beloved friend, you need a quality time today. That's what really activates the love of God, putting the armor of God in your heart. Call up your beloved friend. Perhaps you feel the love of God the most when you sing sweet lullaby to your children at night. Sing your heart out for the glory of God. What is that for you? For me, I relate to Eric Little, the missionary who spent time in China, Olympic gold medalist, runner. His life is well depicted in this movie, 1982 movie, Chariots of Fire. Perhaps some of you have seen that. You might have not seen that, but as soon as I say the tune, you recognize this tune. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. You remember like slow running on a beach? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. But what was most memorable in the movie was Eric Little's one line. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. For me, it's not running, but when I swim, I feel God's pleasure. I do. One of the things I love doing is I have, I'm like a physical person. After church, after work, I go to gym. I put a little audio book, and I swim my heart out for the glory of God. And after I do some physical activities, I feel like, okay. I can get through this. What is that for you? Do it at all costs because it's not only you, our church depends on it. When you really put on the armor of God, we all ought to be ready for the battle. Perhaps what distracts you from wearing the armor of God? It could very well be your cell phone, last thing you look at at night, first thing you look at in the morning. Put that thing away if that's the case. Wear the armor of God today. That's what he calls each of us to do And devil does not want us to wear that armor of God. He's doing his best for us to take that off every day. What good is armor of God if you don't wear it? Perhaps you say, Jen, okay, but I don't know where to begin. Okay, I think about what I need. Maybe journaling is my thing. Maybe that's how I can activate the privilege of gospel. That's when I feel most alive. Great, do it. But if you really are blank slate, you just don't know where to begin. Look no further than where Paul takes us. Look verse 18. What does he exhort us to do? And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Shelton, true warfare, true battle begins on your knee. Do you believe that? Battle begins from the posture of surrender. Prayer is an active declaration before God saying, God, I can't, but you can. I need help. Are you willing to say that before the Lord Almighty? If you are tired, the cure is rest. If you are lazy, the cure is understanding the will of God. If you are facing the cosmic warfare against the evil one, the cure is prayer. Will you bow the knee before the Lord? Here, Paul exhorts us to pray for one another, pray for him. When was the last time that you prayed for someone who's not your immediate family members or relatives? When was the last time you really bowed the knee before the Lord, Heavenly Father, God, I pray for him, I pray for her against this cosmic warfare. May you protect them so that the power of the gospel may go forth. Children, will you put on the armor of God? You need to bow the knee. I need to bow the knee before the Lord against cosmic warfare. How do I know that? Paul says so. How do I know that? Even more than that. 
because that's what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did when he faced cosmic warfare. At the Garden of Gethsemane, hell opened up before him. He finally felt the weight of what he had to go through. What does he do? He prays before our Heavenly Father. Even in his agony, take this cup away from him. He's pleading before Father. Even when he was facing the full force of the hell at the cross, all our cosmic sins were laid upon his shoulder. What is he doing? Praying, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Father, I commit my spirit into your hand. What is he doing? He's praying against the cosmic force of the evil, and he's committing himself to the Father, even in the moment of his most vulnerability. So, Chelton, how are you going to live out this glorious truth that we have been learning through the book of Ephesians series? I'm not okay. If you say, oh, yeah, Jen, that was a cool series, move on. Let us never be the satisfied with the intellectual curiosity. Let us never be just the, the entertainers of the word, but let us really let it drip into our heart and melt it and really let it manifest in a way that we talk to our spouses, in a way that we give benefit of doubt to our church members, in a way that we lovingly speak to one another, in a way that you work for the glory of God. May the truth of the gospel that has been melted into our heart manifest day by day. That's how we can live our Christian calling against this cosmic warfare of the evil one. So today, don't buy into the schemes of the evil one, Shelton. Your life that Christ saved you is too precious for you to yield into the plots of the evil one. Put on the armor of God. Stand your ground. Stand firm. Be alert and always keep on praying. Bow the knee. That's what he has called us to do. This is a lofty calling. We cannot do that on our own. So just like Paul exhort us to do here, Chetlin, will you pray with me? Let's go to the Lord, pray, and ask him to help us. Let's pray together. Oh God, this is dark. The force of darkness in the heavenly realm dark world we are not able to fight that on our own but god you are able you are victorious so will you help us today in our day-to-day -day lives the way that we live our lives in the way that we conduct our domestic affairs whatever it is that we have been learning i pray that we will never just be content knowing the new knowledge but Holy Spirit of God, we beg upon you to let the knowledge of God drip down into the, our core of heart so that this not just becomes intellectual knowledge but functional reality, operational reality in a way that we love one another. Oh God, I pray that you reveal the wisdom to our folks here today as they think about what is it that makes my heart sing? What is it that makes me feel like I am truly putting on the armor of God every day? If it is scripture reading, oh God, give them discipline to really saturate themselves in the truth of you. If it is as simple as making good meal, I pray that you'll give them a sweet dinner time tonight and help them to remember you what you have done. But I beg upon you, oh Lord, 
that all of us who have gathered here will truly wear, put on the armor of God, not just observe it, not just be content by the fact that we know that we have it. So God, allow us to activate this privilege we have in you by putting on the armor of God day by day. We ask upon you, O Lord, we pray before you because we are not able to do that on our own. But Jesus Christ, as you prayed to the Father, we do the same. And we know you are able, so help us. We believe, O God, but help our unbelief. Strengthen us each day so that we can truly be one church, so that we can truly live out for the glory of your name from now and forevermore. In your precious name we pray, amen.